Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome. I am Simran, and it is 1111 Talk Radio. Evolution is not driven by the adaptive development of bigger fangs, sharper claws, and faster feet. It is driven by the evolution of consciousness. Conscious life on Earth evolves in a cyclic spiral of ever-accelerating velocity, and we have now reached the point where consciousness is evolving as much in a single year as it did in a million. From Krishna and Lao Tzu to Buddha and Jesus, each enlightened master discovered how being receptive to all experience was key to becoming one with the universe and its spontaneous patterns of order and chaos. Jason Gregory shows us in his new book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path of Ultimate Freedom, how, driven by fear, the human mind creates the ego. In its greedy and arrogant quest to protect the self and its desires, the ego forces the illusion of separation, weaving complex patterns of reality that shield us from our unity with all beings and result in attitudes of aggression, selfishness, and competition. He reveals how the iconic clash between the aggressive path of the warrior and the simple path of the sage is reflected in the polarized state of the modern world. So as we go through the course of this show, I invite you to decide, are you the spiritual warrior or are you the spiritual sage? Jason Gregory is a spiritual philosopher, independent scholar, writer, and teacher specializing in the fields of Eastern philosophy, Western esotericism, comparative religion, psychology, culture, and ancient civilizations. He is the author of two books and the creator of one documentary, the author of the highly acclaimed Science and Practice of Humility and the cult classic Way of the Weirdo. Jason Gregory is the writer and director of the documentary The Sacred Sound of Creation. You can find out more about him at jasongregory.org. And now, without further ado, welcome, Jason, to 1111 Talk Radio. Oh, it's great to be on, Simran. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. Absolutely. This is a fabulous book. It's It's one that uh, people that have really walked this path are going to totally resonate with. Uh, it's got such richness and such truth throughout every single page. And then it's probably one that people that are navigating the material world and trying to discover more of their inner world are going to sit in perplexed paradox with. Because <laughs> 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 it's going to have them with their head top to the side. And I think that's the beauty of it, because it really is the decision of whether we want to be the warrior at this time or whether we want to be the sage. I'd like to start off with with the term science, because I know in, in Eastern philosophies, science has a completely different term, analogy, and meaning when we think about the science of yoga or the science of humility, whereas in the Western world, science has a completely different definition Speak to it in the sense that you really meant it for this book and in the way it's intended through the esoteric sciences. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, you know, in the West, we usually think of science as collecting data, facts, um, getting figures. It's always to do with measurement and calculation. While in the East, science is more to do with the, we could say, the inner metaphysics of, of reality. And, and um, in my book, especially science is referring more to um, in the sense of when we look at the science of self-realization, 
in India, when we look at Vedanta and paths like that, we're, we're approaching science more in, in that way where we're talking about more of an inner alchemical process as opposed to a external collecting facts, you know, and so forth and so on. So I'm really um, approaching it from more of the inner perspective as opposed to the outer perspective. And even when we look at, you know, science itself, uh, the word science, it comes from the Latin scientia, um, meaning knowledge, and another Latin word, um, which is scira, which means actually to know. So what, we're, what I'm referring to as science is more, into, more to do with the actual um, original essence of what science means. So, uh, you know, not really acquiring knowledge, but self-knowledge and to know that higher aspect of yourself. Oftentimes, too, when we think about science uh, or even technology or evolution, we think in terms of complexity, of how things have to be hard or how we are advancing in such a way that we have to educate ourselves and we have to know more and we have to be more, whereas this look of science and this process through humility and the sage is a process of refining the mind, which is really simple. So we're also talking about the distinction between complexity and simplicity when it comes to evolution. Definitely. When we look at, you know, even when we look at, say, uh, the great Zen master, Lin Chi, Lin Chi always advocated, he's got a great uh, quote, which is actually, um, you're probably familiar with it, you know, uh, you pass your bells, you drink water, you eat food. It's, it's really getting to like the very basics and simple things of life, not meaning that we should be very simple creatures. But the thing is that um, our nature is really simple. It's, it's not really complex. It's not about constructing a personality and defining ourselves as being unique and different to other people. Um, though that might be the case inadvertently when you start to refine your consciousness. But, um, you know, the ancient, especially Eastern and Eastern uh, philosophical paths and, and, and in, in some cases Western esotericism, it's all about deconstruction. So about refining your mind, refining your consciousness, coming back to um, the center of yourself, which is simple in its nature. It's not complex. Complexity is, is, arises from the things that we take in from the world, um, the impressions. Um, in, in Sanskrit, they call that samskaras. So the more samskaras we have, the more vasanas, which are habits and tendencies that we begin to promote into the world. Um, so we, the whole idea of... The, the actual the science of the, the rishis and the mystics is about um, digging into those samskaras, those subliminal um, responses that we have to the um, world and beginning to um, alleviate them back into your, your original simple nature. And, you know, that may sound easier. That's easier said than done, obviously, but that's kind of, especially if we want to really get into the idea of um, the, the true meaning of yoga, which, is mean, which comes from the Sanskrit yuk meaning to unite or join with uh, God or Brahman or whatever you want to, or whatever term you use, we've got to be sincere in our approach to our own inner um, journey and our own spiritual practice. In, in spiritual practice or technique or protocol, there's often the direction of letting go or releasing or surrendering. And when we're talking about the science of humility, it actually goes deeper than that or perhaps more expanded than that, because we're not just letting go of stuff. We're not just saying, um, okay, I'm done. We're actually viewing it 
viewing everything from a different perspective where that letting go is actually an embrace. Talk about your feeling of distinction between let go, surrender versus uh, this path of humility. That's a good question, Simran. The, the thing is, a lot of people, uh, they misinterpret letting go and so forth and so on. A lot of people think that we, we let go, we can let go of material possessions and we can become a sadhu or, or something like this. Um, it's more so to do with um, letting go of the concepts and the beliefs um, within your mind, you could say. Um, but in, in reference to, uh, can you go back to the start of the, that question again? Yes, um, so often when people are going through many of the experiences that they are, experiences of attachment or chaos or struggle, Mm -hmm. they get to a point where they say, I'm just going to let go, or I'm going to surrender, or I'm going to release this uh, from myself or my experience. But in Mm -hmm. reading your book, it's very evident that the practice of humility is 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 not that let go of practice where you're walking away from something, but it's actually more of an embrace because you're looking at everything in a very divine manner of of holy as well. So the let go has a different flavor to it, a different integration to it. Yeah, yeah, that's like I speak about in the book. It's more of that letting go is more of a. It's not an an ignorance of life. It's more of an uh, you could say an affirmation of life. It's where you are, like you said, you're embracing it more because you have, you do see reality from a different place. You're not, a lot of people, like I said before, um, a lot of people think that they see the world the way it is and they, they want to ignore it or separate themselves from it and renounce it that way when that's um, completely, I believe, the wrong way of going about it because the science of humility is about you might be letting go of your mental associations and so forth and so on, but in the process of doing that, there is more a, of a paradoxical um, affirmation of life where you begin to love life much more, you begin to see it in a more interconnected manner, um, you see the order more than you would see the chaos where, um, for example, as, as you know through reading the book where I distinct between the warrior and the sage where the warrior is caught completely in the detail of their own mind and life circumstances and so forth and so on. So. From that tendency, you're always going to want to escape um, your current situation. But if you begin to evolve your perception, see um, the intrinsic order to chaos, the interrelatedness of life, and so forth and so on, um, because you see it from that higher perspective, you begin to um, embrace life more, begin to see the apparent um, opposites as actual mutual and you know that's kind of the what they would call the Zen mind or the Jhana mind is the to see the the actual opposites as mutual. So yeah, there's definitely people need to be. I think they there needs to be a careful distinction between two different sorts of renunciation. Two where we have physical renunciation and psychological renunciation. So you know a, a lot of people used to go to the great sage Sri Ramana Maharishi and talk about, you know, should they give up their jobs and ignore life and walk away from life and so forth and so on. And he'd say, that's not real renunciation. Well, not in the West anyway. I'm not, not sorry, not in the East. The, the renunciation you should be concentrating on is the psychological renunciation, the renunciation of your conditioning, the renunciation of your tendencies and habits that usually make you fall back into those chaotic uh, habit patterns. So, you know, we need to be really careful about what we're talking because a lot of teachers in the world, especially on Eastern philosophy, 
they tell them to, you know, in some sense to ignore the world and ignore even their own body when that's kind of a, a warped and distorted view of uh, the actual teachings. Yes, you have a lot of, uh, of quotes in here from, from different masters, and the quotes are so simple and beautiful, and yet I think oftentimes complex for people to understand because we are so embedded in this material world. And you have a statement here that says that the simple basic nature has been distorted by our intellect into the complex, more as of the external forms. And so when we're looking at our simple basic nature and that simplicity that you're speaking of, the the intellect is what kind of compounds uh, how we're viewing the world, the perceptions, the ideas, and it tends to expand the chaos when we focus in on it like that. And is that what happens when we become inadvertently, consciously or unconsciously, the spiritual warrior? When we start to look at a problem and decide that we need to fix it, then all of a sudden we're not really helping the problem because part of the issue is we're seeing it as a problem. So talk a little bit about how that intellect doesn't always serve us when it comes to our soul evolution. As, and we believe it's helping us as a, as a humanity, but it really isn't helping us in either case. Well, I think you said it beautifully there, Simran's. Um Again, I don't want to demonize the intellect, even though it may seem like that in the book. The intellect can, is a great thing and, um, and is essential, especially if we have a clean intellectual center. But most of us don't because our intellect is associated with our beliefs, um, our, our latent conditioning, and so forth and so on. So we begin to operate from there. And I guess the, the warrior, in a sense, what they see in the world, um, you know, intellectually they would like to change things, uh, you know, because most of us could see things in the world that we would think need changing, but as we've seen through the course of human history is that those sort of actions have never really led to anything but um, a repeating of the cycle of what we're in. So we don't really begin to alleviate the social problems, the, the individual problems, cultural problems, religious problems. They just begin to... Um, stack up on on top of each other until we're where we are now. Now, I'm not saying that where we are now is in a bad situation. I'm just saying that if we didn't act from that manner, from having uh, from seeing things, you know, as wrong and having our own agenda and trying to change things to appease our own intellect, then we might be in a completely different state. I don't know what that would be, but we've never. We've never come to the world and social problems and that um, from the way, like, say, say the Chinese, the great Taoist uh, Chinese master Lao Tzu. Um, because Lao Tzu and Confucius, they sum up sort of the different perspectives of how we see the world in general now because Confucius, Confucianism, even though most of the world doesn't um, subscribe to Confucianism, the temperament is there about you know, Confucius was a very, very highly intellectual man who could see the social and political problems and so forth and so on and seek to change it, but began to warp people's nature, nature as a result. And this is what Lao Tzu saw. Lao Tzu saw, why don't we ever for once in our life just let the universe or let humanity be as it will without anyone else's conscious participation? And so... I always mention that to people, especially in my lectures, because we've never, ever given that perspective a, a chance to, to breathe in our world. You know, when you mention that, people usually say, uh, you know, shut up, you hippie, or something like this. 
but we've never given it a chance um, to survive. It doesn't mean you have to be a hippie. What it means is that you just you have enough trust in yourself to trust. I mean, you have enough enough trust in yourself to trust other people, and you know when we trust everything else, um, that's what really leads to that sense of unity within that we want, that, that sense of enlightenment. And that's why I always mention that you know, trust is actually the paradox of unity because how can you have that f- sense of uh, unity consciousness if you don't trust all life? And you know, that's the paradox. But I think that if we did get out of that state of um, trying to appease our own intellect, then we would step more into, say, the Laozian way of trying to just let um, life take its own course. And, you know, I, I let Simran be who Simran wants to be and she has this beautiful radio show without my con- conscious participation or interference. And that's how it can be for the whole world. Like a crazy kaleidoscope, the ego fractures the clear light of primordial truth and reweaves the fragments into complex patterns that reflect its own preconditioned views suit its own preconceived notions, and serve its own conclusive interests at the expense of all others. The ego always scripts its own story and calls it reality, constructing an illusory world that conforms solely to its own personal agenda. The key to catching the rapidly rising wave of evolving consciousness and riding it to the shore of awakened awareness is humility, plain and simple, and that's what Jason Gregory's book is all about. Jason Gregory is a young Australian with an uncanny eye for truth and a sensitive ear for the song and dance of creation. He calls the answers we're seeking today from the vast archives of ancient wisdom teachings that have been handed down to us through the ages, but rarely understood. Through the rich legacy of the esoteric philosophy and spiritual science bestowed upon humanity by the world's greatest minds, Jason presents us with a clear-cut blueprint that applies the key lessons contained in these ancient teachings to the current task of our own conscious evolution. Today, here, and now. You can connect with Jason Gregory at jasongregory.org. Find out more about the science and practice of humility, his cult classic, Way of the Weirdo, and this documentary, The Sacred Sound of Creation. We'll be right back with Jason Gregory. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. 
As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. You can access all archive issues of 1111 Talk Radio in addition to 1111 Magazine and Rebel Road Online TV at my website, imsimran.com. You'll also find there my own books, Conversations with the Universe, your journey to enlightenment, and your journey to love. So take part with whatever resonates with you. That's IamSimmering.com. Today, my guest is Jason Gregory, and I urge you to look him up at JasonGregory.org. It is a beautiful book to read and one that really, really will uh, have you delve deeply into where the chaos in your world is and what it really is trying to ask you to do. So definitely tap into his book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom. The insight that evolution is essentially a spiritual rather than a physiological process shifts the primary focus of scientific inquiry from physics and chemistry to consciousness and spirit. And this shift changes the whole picture. It means that consciousness is not a product of brain chemistry, but that brain chemistry is a function of consciousness. It means that what you see you believe, not believe what you see, and that you are more than what you think you are. And it confirms the sovereign command of mind over matter, which means that each of us has the power within ourselves to manifest what we want in life and to reshape the world in which we live. Again, this book is The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom by Jason Gregory, jasongregory.org. Welcome back, Jason. You know, when we look at the world, we do see a lot of chaos going on. We see all kinds of things from world issues to war and banking economy issues and health care and shootings and all of these other things. And the ego mind wants to dive right in there and create new laws or fix things or start new revolutions and, and that sort of thing. But real evolution, does it take place in the outer world, or is true evolution a completely internal process? Well, evolution, according to, especially according to the ancient teachings, is an, is an internal process. Um, it's, a, it, it's approaching more of a growth in consciousness. Um, now, when we look at the external world, um, the evolution of the external world is dependent on the consciousness that drives it. It's not really the ego that can change um, particular laws or regu- regulations and um, things that it thinks that it's going to do to help the growth of humanity, that's not going to do anything at all. What's going to change the world is actually the seed of the world, which is the individual 
which um, is the seed of the collective. So we need to understand that consciousness is um, its seed in this universe is through the individual. So if the individual begins the process of what I call a great work of eternity, then we'll begin to see the evolution of the individual and and in response you'll see the evolution of the collective, you know, that being the external world, the physical plane that uh, that we think that, that most people think that th- that's all there is. So we have to really think uh, about evolution in the sense of uh, awareness and perception, you know, in our consciousness. So we're really talking about states of consciousness and, and the way to see the world, especially in the Eastern teachings. They're talking about the evolution of perception, which is what I talk about in, in the book, where you can see the chaos, what we think is chaos actually in the external world, but you can see the intrinsic order to it. And also within the, in the details of your own mind. You know, I, I use a lot of analogies for this, especially um, in, in reference to the external world, like when we're on the ground level, like say, for example, in New York City, all you see is complete chaos from the street level. There's cars going everywhere, traffic's bad, pollution's bad, people are arguing, so forth and so on. But if you take it the the view from a a say Boeing a Boeing jet, then you see when you look down at New York City, you see a a city that's uh, functions. It has an order to it. You know, you see all of these cars going in every morning. These lights going in. They leave all, every afternoon. There's a certain rhythm to this. What we think is chaos. Now that's kind of an analogy for um, our own mind and also for the world that we see and we think that um, is chaotic. So evolution I really... Loved, I loved another analogy that you gave in the book, and it had to do with if you really looked in a microscope and you looked at cells that are forming, yeah. it looks completely chaotic to see these cells moving around and how they come together and how they grow and how they multiply and all of that sort of thing. But if you stand out and you were able to see what those cells were part of, then you all of a sudden see a human being. And, and, and that's a whole huge organism that's living, but it's comprised of all of these chaotic little cells that are moving around doing all their own functions. And so it's true that when we see things in the world, uh, especially if we're seeing things like, like war or killing, if we understand that that part of the chaos, even though the, the mind wants to label it as good or bad, that in, in a perspective that's much higher up, that that part of the chaos also has a divine purpose and perspective where it's here to do something greater as well. And I think that that was what really comes through this book is to help people see how the chaos in their lives, if it's simply viewed from a different perspective, that there's a deeper meaning, there's a grander picture than what we're allowing ourselves to see. So would you say that this this reason for this major issue that we have is that we are trying to to use our actions or positivity to really ignore the major issue, and that would be the darker parts of our being. As we focus on the positivity, it implies that negativity doesn't really exist. And according to Jason Gregory, our ego cannot be understood by ignoring the reality that is part of our being. In contrast, those who have reached enlightenment have delved into all aspects of their being to find freedom hiding within the dark shadows. As I write in my own book, Your Journey to Love, I delve into the necessity of us 
going into those deeper, darker, shadow parts and understanding what are all these mental thoughts, where do they come from, how have we honed into a perspective of ourselves and seen through a small lens when there's a much greater lens to look from. And so this is one of the things that Jason Gregory brings forward in his book, and I believe we've lost connection with him, so we're going to get him back. But in the meantime, I'd love to share with you some of the concepts that he has in this wonderful book, uh-huh. Science and Practice of Humility. Ah, we've got him back. Wonderful. <laughs> so as, as, um, as we disconnected, which was such a beautiful um, kind of symbolism <laughs> for <laughs> what we people do in the world when we go into a place of chaos, we disconnect, don't we? And so it's part of, uh, uh, part of that purpose has been to connect to the darker parts of our being, but that's what we tend to push away from. And we we get into a place where we're trying to be positive or we're trying to be activists or we're trying to make change. But what's really being called from within us is to truly face the darker parts of our being. Can you speak to that, Jason? Definitely. Um, well, I think that there's a, you know, I, I'm, I'm an advocate also of, you know, there needs to be, you know, obviously because of the negativity bias of the brain, there still needs to be more of a tendency to look inside yourself and be, become more positive. But I think that also negativity itself has got a little bit of a bad rap, and the um, recent, especially the posit- uh, the positivity movement that's uh, around the world at the moment. Um, why I say that is because, like, uh, when people see the negative aspects of themselves, they tend to really, like what you said, Simon, push them away and try to hide them or suppress them. When actually, if we look at them, even if we look at the the, the suppressed, darker aspects of ourselves objectively, then we can see where things have to change within our, our internal alchemy and, and how we can transmute a lot of those um, inner problems. Um, now, we all have certain you know, idiosyncrasies and tendencies and habits that you know, I, I, all of us would probably like to alleviate are most of the ones that you know, keep us down, but we can only begin to alleviate them when we begin to face those uh, shadow elements and you know that's a it's a key part of any uh, I believe any spiritual work any sadhana is to get into digging into all of those tendencies those habits and those things that have um, always bring us down and usually bring other people down around us so you know I don't think that we need to think about negativity in in a negative context we just have to see it for what it is and and how it how it is negative and then as a result of doing that, you become naturally positive. It's, it's, a, it's a paradox because, you know, in the positivity movement, which we see around the world, they do say, you know, be more positive and so forth and so on. And this is great. But usually true change and true positive change comes about when you've dealt with a lot of your own inner, inner problems and begun to become a positive person naturally. And that's why I advocated... Sorry, you can go somewhere. And the, the gift of looking at those darker parts of those negativities that we hold is what you had, had said before, is that we, we really end up seeing what we believe. And if we're not aware of the negativity that we hold, then we can't become aware that that is the reality that we not only create and perceive, but that we are so focused in on that we continue to create in every aspect of our lives. Yeah, it's true. If we don't, if we don't have that level of um, discernment within ourselves, it's going to continue to be that way. And that that was actually one of the main um, practices in, in original um, yoga and Vedanta and Samkhya 
was the ability to have that level of discernment, which is uh, Viveka in Sanskrit. And that's the ability to see all of those tendencies and habits and, and that drive your continual patterns. Um, but just begin beginning to be the witness to that so that you don't continue to act out of those places. And you're making, as Carl Jung said, the, the darkness in a sense conscious. And that's really part of a big part of our own, our own spiritual practice and something that, you know, on an ordinary level, most people don't engage with. Another aspect of that darkness that we're to make conscious that I think people are not as aware of is the agendas that we hold consciously and unconsciously and how we put that out into the world and how this world has been shaped by means of agenda, whether it is in our own lives or whether it is through, the, through politics, through religion, through the various social structures that we have, everything is simply steps of agenda. And when we can release the need to accomplish something, the need to make something happen, the need to have an outcome or an attainment, then all of a sudden that's a whole other level of releasing the darkness or the shadow that is controlling us in the mind. Can you speak a little bit to uh, how the ancient masters viewed agendas and the materialistic world? Well, when we talk about the masters and the sages, the first thing that they would um, tell you is to begin to relinquish your own personal agenda. Now, you know, that might sound easy on a you know, superficial level, but it's not that easy. Um, because as we all know, Simran, is when you engage in conversations with people, they usually have that, like those darker tendencies to operate from their persona system. So, you know, if I speak to you as someone born in Canada and myself from Australia, and if you can feel that there's this strong nationalistic tendency in the conversation, you can't really engage in an authentic conversation. Um, one of my friends he often talks about this um, differences between content and delivery where most people are speaking just from content but they're de- um, so their delivery is out of sync but if you've come back and you've loosened your grip on a lot of those agendas then your delivery is much more um, authentic it doesn't matter what you, you could be talking about um, making a um, a pumpkin stew or some a pumpkin soup or something like that it doesn't matter but the way that you present yourself is more authentic. Um, the problem is, is that we are so caught in the detail of um, our tendencies to act out of our our religious beliefs, our nationalistic beliefs, the idea that I'm a male or uh, the color of my skin, and so forth and so on. Then all that's going to do is um, cause conflict in the world, and that's all that's happened. It has caused conflict in the world. Those in psychosis can never help the world because their idea of a peaceful world is attuned to their own personal comforts and conveniences. Thus, they have an agenda for everybody else. Those suffering from this delusion want to uproot tyranny and oppose a system that is fundamentally flawed, but they only aggravate the problem. They are trying to heal a chaotic world with a chaotic mind. They are only the identity or ego and believe in separation, which is the seat of chaos. A chaotic universe cannot be healed through the eyes of separation. As Sri Maharaj exemplifies, he says, First realize that your world is but a reflection of yourself and stop finding fault with the reflection. This is from the book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom. And the author is Jason Gregory. He is a spiritual philosopher, independent scholar, writer, and teacher 
specializing in the fields of Eastern philosophy, Western esotericism, comparative religion, psychology, culture, and ancient civilization. He's the author of The Science and Practice of Humility and the Cult Classic Way of the Weirdo, and the writer and director of the documentary The Sacred Sound of Creation. His website is jasongregory.org. We'll be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. We can only see reality as it truly is when spiritual consciousness begins to blossom within us. The full comprehension of the spiritual plane can only be complete if we are sincere in our self-work within the great work of eternity, which is what allows our consciousness to go beyond the physical and mental worlds. The work to be done within the body-mind state of consciousness can be great and fearful, yet it makes possible what has been deemed the meaning of life. A good majority of beings within this world live on the mental plane of consciousness because escaping the clutches of the mind requires looking into their own psychology, and most do not want to do that. But the infinite possibilities and potentials of the cosmos open to those who comb out their habitual ways and iron out their latent tendencies. This allows the evolution of perception. This is from the book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom, by Jason Gregory. He is a teacher and international speaker specializing in the fields of Eastern and Western philosophy and comparative religion, metaphysics, and ancient cultures. For years, he studied with the masters in Buddhism, Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Hinduism, and Taoism, traveling to some of the most remote places in the world. 
He produced the documentary, The Sacred Sound of Creation. You can find out more at jasongregory.org. Jason, when we look at the different views of the world, and we want to kind of stay in the material plane, but yet there's this spiritual aspect to us, you talk in the book about the different phases or planes of consciousness and how there are different magnifications. Can you explain to the listeners a little bit about these different planes so that we can kind of understand where we are and where it is that we need to go? Well, there's actually three planes of consciousness. So we've got to think in terms of the, the physical plane, the mental plane, and the spiritual plane. Now, most of us, most people in general, they live on primarily in the physical and mental worlds, meaning the body, state, mind of consciousness, you know, most people, as we know, are attracted to materialism, are attracted to either a lot of the things, they're engaged with the things in their own mind and their own imagination and so forth and so on. And when your awareness, your, when the gravitational pull of your awareness is pulled into those worlds, then that's when you're in the sense of chaos, of separateness, of you, you, you think that you're a separate person from everything else and so forth and so on. So the, the, the practice has always been... Um, especially in the ancient spiritual paths, was beginning to um, taper back those levels, beginning to, um, as, I, as I say, evolve your perception. But getting out of, say, the physical plane, um, the attraction to the physical plane, the attraction to materialism and so forth and so on, and bringing it back into the mental plane then and working on the mental sphere, working on the habits, the tendencies, and all of these things that continue to create your, your physical reality, meaning that the physical and the mental worlds are connected uh, atomically. And when you begin to do that, if you begin to work on the, the mental sphere, then you'll begin to see the fruits of your labor in the physical world of that, that cultivation. Now, when you begin to simmer down your mental vibrations, then you begin to come back into resonance with um, what is called the spiritual plane, meaning... Um, it's completely. We, we could say it's completely empty, but it's at a it's at a state of so your, your consciousness is so refined that you can look into the mental and physical worlds, and you are not attracted or not even pulled into the attraction of getting caught into the dramas of life, the chaos of life, and so forth and so on. So, you know, that's the the whole sort of game of the great work of eternity is to get out of the physical back into the spiritual. It doesn't mean that you don't like, I mean, that you ignore the, the physical and the mental. It means you see them for what they are, as temporary, as impermanent, and but because you, you're from a place that's eternal and lasting. So, you know, this is a, it's easier said than done, Simran. Well, I love, I love what you say in the book. Uh, you, you describe alchemy, the definitions, and how it relates to the various... Um, parts of the word and, and where they originated from. And you say Dharma yeah. is the expression of this union through the mental virtual virtue of alchemy and that alchemy poetically means to fuse or join with God. Talk about that concept, mental alchemy, because it sounds like when you're discussing these three planes that we're not really saying the spiritual plane is the best, but we're saying that there's a way to allow the, the mental and the emotional to be alchemized into tools for the spiritual plane. So can you speak a little bit to mental alchemy? 
Definitely. Well, mental alchemy is this, is um, the same concept as uh, dharma in in India or dirt in China, which um, you're referring to. If you look at Swami Sri Yukteswar's interpretation of mental virtue, then that's kind of getting more towards the original Sanskrit, where what you are doing in that process of, like you said, the emotional and the mental coming back, coming into resonance with the spiritual, almost like a tool. The spiritual is using the mental as a tool to, in a sense, inspire the world. But the, the difference is, is the sense of the person has moved out of the way. This is the beginning of the mental alchemical process. Is about um, when you begin to refine your consciousness, you begin to um, uproot your own, what we would say, individual will, um, and allow the, more of the divine will to, to move through you. That's the idea of alchemy, um, which is, um, as you said, means to actually to, is the Greek word where alchemy comes from, which means to fuse with God or to join with the universe or whatever you want to call it. And that in that process, you, you're allowing then the virtue of that unnameable um Thing that, or whatever it is we call God or Brahman or Tao beginning to, to, to flow through you. And what that does is it affects the actual physical world, meaning it affects other people, it affects the actual reality. And you see this a lot through artists or sages, how they inspire people, not in the sense that they're very egocentric, but in the sense that they're, they're, they are just operating, they're functioning in this through this sort of this mental alchemical dharmic path that's moving through them. And it's, again, it comes back to the great work of eternity and beginning to understand that is there really an individual will here or is there only one will moving through um, different focal points? And that's kind of one of the big things in Eastern philosophy is the idea of choice. Do we, do we really have choice or apparent choice? Now, when you begin to... Um, investigate your own individual will you kind of come into the idea that we hey we only have an apparent choice because I'm driven by something much greater than myself and mm. I think that's a be that's a beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing and and you go on to talk about how when you merge with that divine will and allow the universe to flow through you that the science of humility actually enters your being and when I read that part it kind of made me go okay which comes first the chicken or the egg because <laughs> you know, is it the humility of us that allows divine will to step in and take over because we get personal will out of the way? Or is it that we all of a sudden just let divine will take over and we have then stepped into humility? And so I thought that was a really neat section. And as I thought more about the I Ching and what humility means there, in, in the I Ching, humility is really more about the stronger force surrendering to the weaker force. And so when we look at the world or we look at a struggle or a conflict that's going on in our lives, to be able to then step back from the chaos and know that you're the stronger force in a very humble way that you can handle and allow the divine will to take over, to allow all that is in the world that wants to be called good or bad but really is just divine in itself to happen, then all of a sudden that which you saw as bad or weaker can allow itself to flow naturally. So when we are talking about the science of humility, it opens you to reveal who you truly are within your position of the cosmos is what you've written. That stepping back, that humility, 
is that allowing the God essence of the person then to come forward? Oh, definitely. It definitely is. And I like what you said, the chicken or the egg analogy. I think it's a paradox in that sense too. It's um, as a person you're becoming uh, um, more humble, um, more receptive, and then the what we would say is the science of humility begins to work through you. So um, getting back to the last part that you just said there, Simon. It was more so about stepping back because you use the statement, it reveals who you truly are. And I think a lot of people go through life going, I want to become who I truly am, or spiritual teachers will say, be more of who you truly are. But mm-hmm. our intellect and our ego says more of who we truly are means doing something in the world or writing a bestseller mm-hmm. book or being a radio show host or <laughs> you know, being the best at whatever it is I do. But being mm-hmm. who we truly are is actually allowing ourselves to live, act, be, and perceive from the divine mind and eye of God. Yeah. Yes? Well, yeah, definitely. Well, when, again, when we want to be, you know, when, when people say they want to be their greater self or they want to be their higher self and do all these things and this and that, uh, I think, and especially according to the sages, we go about this the wrong way, where, like, when we look at humility, Humility, again, is analogous to water. When, when you look at water, water seeks the lowest places in nature. And mm. it's, the lowest, it's the lowest line force in nature. But paradoxically, it's the most powerful force. So that's kind of an analogy for our own humility. When we seek the low places, meaning when we're not opinionated and we don't have a lot of agendas and we don't have uh, rigid opinions about things, then from that state, you begin to actually change the world because you've actually you've realized that within yourself as true power. And that's sort of what that's how you get back to the being the back to your original nature about who you will who you really want to be. And then you kind of get the the real power that you always wanted but you never knew existed. And that's that's kind of the spiritual process of attaining that science of humility, seeking those light those low places in life. And is that the true evolution of perception? You have a whole chapter on perception, and that really means seeing the world, seeing the self, seeing others from a completely different set of eyes than we have before. Can you speak to a little bit about that perception? Well, yeah, the evolution of perception is seeing the world completely different to the average consciousness because you are seeing it, you know, again, when you come into the science of humility and you do seek those low places and you begin to see the world then not in its uh, dualistic perspective. You don't see, you don't have the measuring stick of Maya, as, as I sort of referred to. Uh, Maya is a Sanskrit word to mean measurement, so meaning the illusion of your own mind. So, again, you are seeing reality from a completely different place from percep- uh, when, you, when you have evolved your perception um, as a result of coming into accord with humility. Again, if you're, if you're humble, naturally, you only have to think about this very simplistically, if you're humble naturally, you don't really have any strong agendas to change the world or change other people to please yourself. You've sort of given all of those away. So as soon as you've given those away, what happens? Your perception begins to change. You begin to see world in a more beautiful manner. You begin to embrace people's opinions in in a more humble manner. You begin to embrace the world in a more humble manner. And this is a real natural way of being. But it's hard for most people to be because we're brought up in a world of ignorance where we're taught to go about things the wrong way, go about it by seeking to um, build, our, build our persona, 
build our sense of success when it's not really not success, not successful. Real success comes from seeking those places, and then again you'll begin to see the world truly um, as it is, and that'll be the the defined success that you've always wanted. And as we move into those new perceptions, then that also activates the principle of rhythm, where everything flows. Can you speak to the principle of rhythm in our lives as we close out the show? Well, in the Hermetic philosophy, they talk about the you know the the principle of rhythm, where everything um, ebbs and flows. Um, we go through stages in our life of peaks and valleys, and there is intrinsically in reality you know you can't really speak about rhythm without vibration because vibration is another one one of those sort of eternal aspects of reality but when you come into accord um when you like i said when you begin to evolve your perception you begin to come into accord with the higher resonance of reality and then you begin to um come into sync with um that eternal rhythm that's it's in our lives in every moment but we're just not conscious of it most people who are conscious of it they perceive it in synchronicities and so forth and so on but um rhythm itself is is only found again when you begin to get out of the sense of being a person and coming back into accord with that higher reality because that's that's your true internal nature so um i think that's about it Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jason, for being on 1111 Talk Radio and for your wonderful book, The Science and Practice of Humility, The Path to Ultimate Freedom. Humility evokes this perception of enlightenment, which is actually the fruit of all spiritual practice and also life. We don't perceive this in our life or practice because we are indoctrinated by culture to focus on the foreground of life instead of the background. We only perceive and are attracted to chaos in the world, which is a reflection of the attraction to chaos within our minds. This eventuates because we have not refined our consciousness into the pure jewel of transparent and reflective awareness. Humility evokes enlightenment when we give up trying to control life and instead trust in the universal flow. You can find out more about Jason Gregory at jasongregory.org. Join me next week as my guest is Frank Joseph, and we dive into Atlantis. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Shift happens.